Hi. Well, there wasn't a lot of excitement about me rocking your world. I'm like, thank you, Chris. Well, every year we um, have taken on this project with Tracy Evans. Tracy is in the front row. Stand up, Tracy. This is Tracy Evans. If you don't know who Tracy is, um, Jason Valentin and I wrote a book um, called Outrageous Courage. It's the life of Tracy Evans. You should get that book. It's a really awesome book. But Tracy works in Mozambique, and she feeds and yeah, she feeds and clothes babies. And um, and this year, every year, we raise money for this milk project. As a matter of fact, the videos on. Let's run the video first, and kind of tells you a lot about it. Life, it's such a precious thing, such a fragile thing. When we were kids, remember how adults would ask, when you grow up, what do you want to be? And I decided I wanted to be someone that saves lives. So I grew up, I went to university, I acquired medical credentials, and then I launched out into the nations. Then I heard about Mozambique. It was an absolutely devastated country after 16 years of a protracted civil war. So I I went there and I came across a few other medical professionals who were also volunteers. And together we joined forces to establish a nutrition and a health center. One of the greatest needs that we found in Mozambique was simply milk. Hundreds of babies were perishing because their mothers had died and there was no other source of milk. So this milk program is to provide nutrition for these babies. At first, we had just a few babies, but due to the war and famine and tropical illnesses, many mothers were dying and leaving behind infants with no other source of milk. So our program grew so rapidly, we we kind of had a bit of a panic attack. We had hundreds of babies and not enough milk to feed them. At that time, Bethel Church stepped in to assist us. Bethel not only sent us funds for milk, they also sent us Natalie Monk, and she's now the director of the clinic and and milk program. She did such a good job, however, that they did what healthy babies do. They grew and grew and grew, and we ended up with hundreds of energetic toddlers. So then Bethel sent us Nate and Julie Miller, Together, Julie and Nate built a preschool, kindergarten, and a playground for the children. Later, Bethel also sent Anna Kapner, and she now manages the children's ministry and the various educational programs. In these past few years, we were able to rescue over 6,000 babies, and here they are. These pages are the discharge summaries of our Nutrition and Health Center. Each of these boys and girls now has a future and a hope. They all came to the program, many of them third degree malnourished. They were skin and bones. And we were able to to give them just bare essential nutrition and medical care so that they could survive and thrive. And with each baby we're able to save, the whole community is now open to us. Together, our goals are to save the lives of these vulnerable children and then to educate them. Our goal is to bring salvation and prosperity to the nation of Mozambique, to bring life and life abundant. And guess what? It's happening. 
That's so cool. So what we're going to do, we have, um, it costs $100,000 for the 900 children that they, that they give milk to every single day, 365 days a year. And we're $23,000 short this year so far, so we've already raised most of it. Pretty cool, huh? But um, anything, anything that we get over and above the $23,000 will go straight to Tracy because they have several other programs that are also running. And, uh, and how many know that uh, this is good soil to sow into? And the first service, I felt like someone was going to give $100,000. I think they thought I was kidding, but I really did have a word that someone was going to write a check for $100,000. Huh? Oh, it was Kathy. And then, and then the second word I had was, I saw a red Corvette for sale. <laughs> that was Kathy, too. <laughs> oh, man, I'm bad. So if you'll put up the text to give right there, we're going to have the ushers come. Why don't we just pray right now? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're so generous. Uh, you're, you're a generous God. And you've created a generous people. And Lord, we pray right now that what happens in the next 10 minutes would change the lives of African children right now, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that there would be sacrificial giving in this room that happens right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you can text to give. You can see this, put Bethel Milk uh, uh, after your text there. And if you're not sure how much to give, just add a zero to whatever you were thinking at the end. And then Tracy and her team, is this true uh, in the service too? You're going to be in the back? And Tracy and her team will be in the Hebrews lobby if you'd like to talk to her. Most interesting person on the planet to talk to, actually. And so um, just go ahead and, and pass that. Um, again, you can text to give. If you, just, if you write a check, just put milk down at the bottom of it. By the way, we don't take any admin costs out. Just for the visitors to know, we never do. So if we take an offering for something, we take no admin costs out. We don't, we don't, even, we don't even take credit card costs out. So it all goes 100% to Tracy and to her ministry. Awesome. Well, um, we just got back from the Heaven Come conference. Did you tell them that when you opened this morning? It was amazing. I mean, it was just amazing. We had Carl. What's Carl's? It's Lance. Lance, yeah. Lance. L-E-N-T-Z, in case you'd like to Google him. He was off the hook amazing. He, he's an evangelist, and he was telling us the story that down the street from his house, I think it's like a C-store or something, he went down the street, and he was just getting something in a cup of coffee or something before the service started, and there was a homeless man there, and he says to the homeless man, you need to come to church with me. And the homeless man said, I, I shake so bad without a drink. I haven't had a drink today, and I just shake so bad. And and uh, I, I, can't, I can't even function without a beer. And he goes, well, I'll just buy you a beer, and then you just come to the church with your beer. Just bring your beer and come to church. So he bought the guy a beer and brought him to church. And then when he gave the offering, I mean, when he gave the, the call for, uh, who, you know, for, the what? The altar call. Thank you. Everybody's trying to help me in the front row. It's the altar call. You can do it. When he gave the altar call and said, raise your hand if you'd like to receive Jesus this morning, the guy raised up his beer and he was the first one to receive Jesus. Came up front. I did not do that story justice. We were roaring laughing. It was hilarious. So, well, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you 
did uh, there in L.A., the City of Angels. And we thank you for what you're doing right here at Bethel Church. And we, went, we thank you for all the people who are watching by Bethel TV. And Lord, we pray for the same anointing to be in their rooms, in their, in their houses that's in this house right here in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about walking out of pain. And there's a, this is a particular uh, message that I, I feel like, well, there's going to be some teaching to the message for sure. But I actually feel like this is a prophetic declaration. When we were, um, in, uh, at, at, um, when we were at the Heaven Come conference, I, I felt like the Lord said, you know, this is like the 70th year, uh, like the year of Jubilee. And how many of you know that we're in the 500th year of the Reformation? 500 years ago this year, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the door of the Catholic Church, and the Protestant movement was birthed. And this is the 500th year. And I felt like the Lord said when we were there in L.A. that this is like Reformation 2.0 and God was going to do some crazy new stuff in this next Reformation. But I want us to read this, uh, this passage in John chapter 5, verse 2. I'm going to pull a few things out of it. But I want to tell you, get your hopes up. Like, there's something about this day. I'm not talking about now um, this day-like season. I'm talking about this 24 hours. That there's something about today, there's something about today that's profoundly prophetic for people who've been in pain to walk out of pain. And so this is both a teaching, and if you could receive it, it's also a prophetic declaration over you. So um, I want you to receive the teaching part, but the part that I think is going to be actually profound is the impartation for the day of the Lord to deliver you from pain. So that's the part that's the most profound part about this message. It won't be the articulation. It's the anointing to change your season. Are you with me? So um, John chapter 5, verse 2. You'll be very familiar with probably every verse we read this morning. Verse 2. There was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticles. And in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down in certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever then was first, after the stirring of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease in which he was afflicted. A man who had been ill for 38 years was there. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time in that condition, he said to him, listen to this, do you wish to get well? Listen to the man's answer. The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool, and when the water is stirred uh, when the, I'm sorry, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said, "Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk." This is really a profound story for lots of reasons. And, I, uh, and, and today it's a profound story for a particular reason. The man was at the pool for 38 years. Think about it. For 38 years, he's at a healing pool for 38 years. And for 38 years, the man has seen other people get healed for 38 years. And Jesus comes along and says, Sir, do you wish to get well? Seemingly a stupid question. (laughs) No, I've come here to watch the movies. You know, like, what do you think I'm doing here? I'm here 38 years. And Jesus says, do you wish to get well? 
And I would propose to you that although on the surface it seems like a stupid question, and especially when Jesus knew he had been there for a long time, and yet it's a profound question because many people go to the doctor, they come to the healing rooms, they come to whatever it is, and yet they come with hopelessness. That they actually come to the pool of promise, but hopelessness reduces it to a pallet of pain. And the truth is, is that people go places and never anticipate that they're going to get well. And instead of just saying, of course, I, do you wish to get well? Oh, yeah, hello, here I am. He begins to give Jesus reasons. Well, here's all the reasons why I'm sick. And Jesus is all, take up your pallet and walk. And what makes this a profound day, if you will, it's a little bit metaphoric, but this is the 38th year. This is the year when you're like, I've been in pain for 38 years. I've been in pain 50 years, 10 years, 20 years, one year. You get the idea. I've been in pain and I have learned how to live with the pain. I don't even, try, I don't even think I'm going to get healed anymore. I'm just coping with the pain, hanging out with the, at the pool with other people who are in pain because misery loves company. And then somebody has the gall to come down and say, do you want to get well? I guess, maybe. And I want to inspire you that today is the day your pain's supposed to go. Let me say this. You can't always help what happens to you, right? You can get hit by a car. There's things that happen in our life. Some of us raised by, raised by crazy people. And you're a child and you, you're, you just, what? You just can't help it. It's like, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And some of us have to get past the fact that we actually didn't do anything to deserve this. But my point is, I can't always help what happens to me. But I can always help what happens in me. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about that. You know, I have been with people that are in tremendous pain and, you, and, 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 and racked with fear. And in a session, in a, a counseling session or in an appropriate place, I say... It feels like you're full of fear. And they say, I'm not afraid of anything. I I don't feel fear. And I realized something. that, For instance, if you're afraid to fly and you don't get on a plane, how many know you don't feel the emotion of fear because you reduced your life to accommodate it? And what I'm getting at is this. I have encountered more people who are racked with fear and don't feel the emotion of it anymore because they've reduced their life to accommodate it. They have numbed their life to go on. And I'm saying this morning, step into the pain because Jesus is about to actually heal you, not numb you. I want to tell you four things about pain. Number one, pain is rarely the problem. It's almost always the symptom. Pain is rarely the problem. It's almost always the symptom. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Number two, Pain will lead you to the source of your problem. Pain will lead you to the source of your problem. Number three, the level of your pain does not always determine the depth of your problem. Anybody ever had a, like a metal sliver in your finger? I work in the shop all the time, and I'm always coming out with it. I got a metal sliver. I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> and Kathy, you know, I, 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 she usually digs them out because I, I don't like to watch. I'm like, just dig it out. You know, and I, I like to squeeze it so it can't, the, my, my, my head can't get signals to it, you know? I, Just dig it out. She's like, you're so dramatic. I'm like, it hurts. 
You know, the level of your pain doesn't determine how severe your problem is. And the fourth thing I want to say about pain is ignoring pain or being afraid of pain often leads to deeper problems. It's like when you're, that, little, that, that tooth hurts and you're like, I'm just going to take you know, ibuprofen. And pretty soon you find that you end up with dentures. <laughs> it's like you just avoid the pain long enough until the problem gets worse. How many of you have ever figured out that the pain actually points to a problem and if you don't deal with the problem, it doesn't typically get better? It's like, it's like putting a piece of tape over the idiot light in your car. I know that light's not supposed to be there. <laughs> pretty soon, you know, that, you know, that, that, that five cents of, of tape ends up with a you know, $3,000 motor. It's like, you, 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 that's why it's called an idiot light. <laughs> anyway, somebody wrote me and said, what do you think about marijuana? I said, it's called dope. <laughs> it's a reason why people call it dope. Anyway, okay. Pain, you know, there's the kind of pain that Bill talked about um, in, in a message, several messages, but recently, when he talked about that the source of pain, the word pain, comes from uh, the word evil. There's that kind of pain. But how many know there's the other kind of pain that God designed you to feel? It's the kind of pain when you break your leg and, and your leg goes, hey, knothead, get off your foot so we can get well. How many understand that pain's not evil? That's the kind of pain that actually moves you to the purpose of wholeness and healing. I remember years ago, uh, many years ago, I think it was maybe around 35 years ago, that I get a phone call from Bill in the middle of the night, and he's in, and he's in tons of pain. He's like, get here right now. And I think our, our, our wives were at a retreat or something, because we had the kids. And so I got my three kids ready, and Ran over his house real quickly. They all put their pajamas on. We ran over his house and his kids. I think, I think we had four or five kids at the time between the two of us. And, we, and I put him, and he's doubled over when I get there. And we get him in the car and rush him to the hospital. Now, let me tell you something. In Weaverville, you're not excited about getting rushed to the hospital in Weaverville. <laughs> you know, usually, if you, can, if you can utter an R, like, Redding, take me to Redding, you know. Like, put me in the tractor and get me there. I don't, just don't take me to Trinity General Hospital. But I take him to the hospital there, and this is a hospital where often the doctors are smoking while they're talking to you, not, not our particular doctor. And we get there, and, you know, the kids are exhausted. It's middle of the night, and, 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 he's, and they put him on a gurney, and he's in, like, excruciating pain. And the doctor finally gets there, and I said, can you give him something for the pain? And he said, we can't give him something for the pain until we find the problem because the pain's going to tell us where the problem's at. And what I'm getting at is this. We often numb the pain of our life and don't actually know where the problem is. And so we're dealing with symptoms and wondering why our life's getting worse and worse. And so I, I want to say a few things about how do I get out of pain? And number one is, it's probably obvious, trust God. <laughs> James chapter 1 says, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith... How many of you know the James trial isn't testing your character? The James trial is testing your faith. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. 
Let endurance have its perfect result. You may be found complete, lacking in nothing. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men without reproach. But let him ask without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the, by the waves. Let that man not believe he'll receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. What's the point? When I'm in trouble, what am I supposed to do? The first thing I'm supposed to do is go, God is going to help me. God's going to help me. I'm in trouble, and I trust God. I don't, you know what an idol is? Anything you have to check with before you say yes to God. I'm simply saying, like, the pathway out of my pain is I grab onto God, and I go, this pain is going to have a promise on the other end of it. I never go through pain with God without there being a promise at the other end. And I remind myself, this is not the last chapter of my book. Everything works out for good in the end. So if this isn't good, it's not the end. I want to say to people in this room, you've been divorced, you're going to love again. Your house has been broken, your, your children have left, they're coming back. Isaiah 60 says, and your sons will, be, will come from afar and your daughters will be carried in arms. I'm saying, get your hopes up. Well, they've been gone for 10 years. I don't care if they've been gone for 50 years. This is the 500th year of the Reformation. This is the 70th day of, 70th year of Jubilee. This is the 38th year of the man at the, you get it, at the pool of Bethesda. I'm saying, this year, this day, you go, my son's coming back this time. My home is going to be healed this time. My back, I'm going to get it prayed for again, and it's going to get well. How do you know? Because how many know physical obedience brings spiritual relief? And I'm saying, if, if you're in a trial, God's trials always come to a purpose. If God didn't cause the trial, he still, brings it, he still works it out for good in your life. How many know, if, you, if you're sick, Jesus said, you need a doctor. He said, the, the sick need a physician. Sometimes we don't go to the doctor because we're like, Jesus is going to heal me. That's all great, by the way. If you are supposed to not go to the doctor, I'm typically good with that. But sometimes we don't go to the doctor and we go, I believe Jesus is going to heal me. That's why I don't go to the doctor. And the truth is, I'm terrified of the doctor. I don't go to the doctor not because I have great faith I'm going to get healed, because I have terrible, a terrible fear that the doctor is going to tell me something I don't want to hear. Do you know what, you know, in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, it says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they are mighty for the destruction of fortresses. And it names three fortresses, thoughts, speculations, and lofty things. You know what a lofty thing is? Anything that's bigger than God. Whatever I'm afraid the doctor's going to tell me, if I'm afraid of it, it says it got bigger than God. (laughs) He might tell me I have cancer. Well, cancer's not bigger than God. I don't want to talk to my, I don't want to talk to the counselor because I might hear something that, that, that's wrong, and I don't know what to do with it. How many understand it's not bigger than God? I remember being uh, in a, uh, doing a session with this uh, gal that um, uh, another prophetic guy and I were ministering to her, and he was talking to her about her, her son, and he was telling her that in the top drawer of your dresser, of his dresser, of his dresser, there's something under the his underwear in the top drawer of his dresser. And he began to see in the spirit that there was drugs in the top drawer of this young man's dresser. 
And I'm, and I'm watching her, and I'm watching as this prophetic guy is t- telling her this problem this, you know, about her son. And, you know, we're moving her towards, a, obviously, a solution. And I realized by watching her that she knows her son's on drugs, and, and, and she doesn't know what to do, so she's pushed the denial button. And I said to her, you know that's true, don't you? You know your son's on drugs. And she said, well, I've never checked, but I'm pretty sure. Now, in other words... I think that problem's bigger than God, so I just avoid it, and maybe it'll go away. Maybe, but typically the monsters get bigger when you leave them alone. And I'm saying, you want to walk out of pain? You need to step into Goliaths. You need to step in to the valley and say, you, you big guy, you're coming down. This is the day the Lord's made. No more, not on my watch. Proverbs, we're talking about we're talking about the source of your pain. Proverbs says, The spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but a broken spirit who can bear. There are times when the source of pain is is different than anticipated. I'll give you an example. We were um, at the Open Heavens conference and there was some people, we prayed for quite a few people in the green room, and this lady came in and some folks said, Hey, can we you pray for her, and she had really severe back pain. And so we started praying for her, and while we were praying for her, I saw this big uh, shaft, um, uh, spear in her back, and it said, uh, it said abandon on it. And I'm like, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it said betrayal. It said betrayal on it. So we're praying for her, for her physical healing, and I'm like, huh. So it was an appropriate place. I mean, we weren't you know, ministering to the crowds or anything not doing negative prophetic words. And I said to her, I see a big spear in your back, and it says betrayal. And when I said betrayal, she just started weeping, just weeping and weeping. So I said, you know, you know about that? And she said, yes, I know about it. And I said, okay, so uh, we're going to pull that out, and your back's going to get well. And she said, what do I do? I said, stand still. <laughs> she, this is what you do, stand still. She said, okay. So I grabbed this, this you know, do you understand it was invisible? Yeah, so I grabbed, <laughs> for some of the folks who are watching by Bethel TV. So I grabbed the, 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 the spear and I pulled it out of her back like that. And she went like that and, and then she, she started, her crying got worse. And I said, you okay? She said, yeah, yeah my, my pain's all gone. My pain's gone. I said, yeah, okay, now... And I started to minister to her about forgiveness and about, you get the idea, and, and, about, tr- and about trust and about bitterness and about hatred. I didn't accuse her. I just said, now let's make sure that is there anyone you need to forgive? Is there, and you know, what am I doing? I'm making sure the spear don't end up in her back by the time she gets out of there, right? Because I don't know why it got there, but sometimes we invite those things. Not always, but sometimes we invite those things. My point is, she has something wrong in her body, but it's actually rooted somewhere else. And the point is, we got to find the source of the pain. And sometimes the source looks like it's over here, but it's actually over there. Number three, develop a culture of wholeness around you. Develop a culture of wholeness around you. Proverbs 25.20 Like the one who takes off a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar on soda, is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. <laughs> you know, when you're, 
when you're not doing well, like when you're hurting, when you're in pain, don't listen to, you know, like the bridge over troubled water. <laughs> do, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I'm saying what you listen to matters. Like when you're in a time of, of, of pain, it's easy to like put on a song that mis- kind of like goes with the misery, you know, like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like a bridge over trouble. That isn't what you need to be singing right now. You need to be singing, did you hear the mountains tremble? Did you hear the singers roar? You get where I'm, you know why I'm not on the worship team now. <laughs> My point is, is that Proverbs says, don't sing songs to your pain. Sing songs about your victory. You're not here, you're not here to make your pain feel welcome. You're here to make your pain feel unwelcome. Are you with me? How do I get out of pain? Stop ministering to it. Oh, I'm my pain. It's not your pain. Tell it to go. (laughs) I love this one. Proverbs 25, 19. I think this one fits my personality. Like a bad tooth or an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in a time of trouble. Sometimes you've got to ditch people. You know, when you're miserable, you know who you like to be around? You, me, all of us. We like to be around other miserable people. Right? It's like, when you've got a cold, you're like... I got a cold. It's like, Johnny has a cold too. And Mary, how do you know all these people have a cold? Because they all call each other. How are you feeling? Horrible. You know anyone else feeling horrible? Let's let's have a group call. No, let's not. I'm simply saying, we like to be around other miserable people because it kind of makes us feel normal. And I want to tell you, being miserable isn't normal. It's only common. Cancer is common, but it's not normal. Normal is the kingdom of God is not eat or drink, but help me, righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy is normal. (laughs) I was on the couch for six months depressed. I I didn't like that verse. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. I'm serious. I didn't like it. It didn't make me feel hopeful. It made me feel shameful. Well, I must not be in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not eat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. And I'm like, suck, terrible, and depressed. I'm in some other kingdom. But how many know what I need is to read that verse? Are you following me? I don't need to comfort my misery. I don't need to hang out with other miserable people. I need to hang out with happy people. Who, anybody ever depressed and you're supposed to go to a party? And you don't feel, I don't want to go to a party. I feel so bad. It's time to party. Right? I mean, when it's time, when you're feeling bad, that's when you need to go to the party. I'm not talking about drinking. I'll leave it there. Okay. You know, if you don't have enough money, like if you're broke, and you're like, oh, we're so broke. We're just so miserable. We're just broke. My dad was broke. My uncle was broke. My cousin was broke. We're broke. Our kids will be broke. Look at our dog. Our dog's broke. (laughs) You know who you don't want to hang around with? The guy who's got money. Right? You don't want to hang around. Like, Joe, how's it going? Oh, it's great. I just made another investment, and you won't even believe what happened this week. That's the guy I don't want to hang around with. 
Who do I need to hang around with? The guy who knows, has power to make wealth. I don't need the guy who feeds my misery. I need the guy who confronts my misery. Listen, it's normal to have seasons of trials. If you're doing anything for God, you're going to have warfare. But, you know, you know the Psalms 23, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't build a tent there. I don't build a mansion there. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I lay by the still waters. I, I, I can take a nap by, by the, you know, whatever, what the other one is. The, the pastures. <laughs> The green pastures. I'm sorry. My brain is dead today. I can lie by the green pastures. I can, you know, build a house by the still waters. But when I get to the valley, I have to keep going. People, you know, because I wrote the Spirit Wars book, I get lots and lots of private Facebook messages and people are like, you know, I feel like I'm in a time of warfare. I always ask them, how long has it been? This is very common. 17 years. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not... (laughs) That's not a season. That's a lifestyle. And when you have a lifestyle, you know you have a lifestyle because you know all the other miserable people too because they all come, or f- come over to encourage you during home group. Right? You suck and I suck and we all suck. So let's just get mad at the people who are wealthy. Let's just build cases against them. Yeah. They probably stole the money from somebody. Otherwise, they'd be miserable like us. <laughs> we go around building cases against people who aren't miserable to help us feel better about our misery. How many know you're not going to get out of pain that way? You're feeding pain. I'm saying, don't feed pain. Make it uncomfortable for pain to stay. To stay. Make it uncomfortable. You don't like that friend that comes over and you don't want him to stay? okay we're going to move on lamentations 351 says my eyes bring pain to my soul my eyes bring pain to my soul listen when you're in the middle of pain be careful what you watch be careful what you watch on tv and what your eyes look at it's like you know i like action movies i like old testament action movies i like action movies where the person who does the bad stuff doesn't get saved. <laughs> they die. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If the guy, like, you know, the movie opens and he does some horrible thing, I'm, I'm not praying, I'm not like, I'm not hoping he goes to church and gets saved. I'm not, I don't like those kind of movies. <laughs> I like that kind of life. I do that for a living. I want the guy to die. Looking for Old Testament, like, yeah, judgment, like, come on, you know, superhero. Is anybody else like that? And the end of the movie, you know, the terrible person gets saved and he lives a good life for Jesus. Like, no, 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 in real life, that's good. But in a movie, that's a bad movie. But when I'm going through troubled times, I don't need movies like that. I have to watch. I have to be careful. Are you with me? I have to be careful what I watch. I have to be careful what I see. A joking aside, I have to be careful who I'm hanging out with. I've got to be careful what, and I'm not joking. I have to be careful what music I listen to, 
What music do I, what kind of music? In other words, I am not trying to make my pain comfortable. I'm trying to tell my pain, you probably don't want to have dinner here. The, the food isn't good. You won't want to stay in my house tonight. The bed, unsleepable. You'll be up all night. We let the dog sleep there. You don't want to stay. And I start to create a culture, are you with me, where pain is not welcome in my life. I'm not trying to figure out how to live with it. I'm trying to make sure I live without it. Are you with me? Okay. You know, when Jesus, he, he, you remember him? (laughs) He's in a, you know, the boys are in a boat. He's rose from the dead. They don't know it's Jesus. He comes to the shore and he asks them a question, you know. Hey, have you caught anything? And I'm like, no. Cast your nets on the other side of the boat. No, oh, I like this part. I, I missed the best part. Peter's like, no, we've been fishing all night. Okay, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. How I many you ever think, like, if you've been fishing all night, you'd think you only fished on one side of the boat if you didn't catch anything? <laughs> I mean, I've been fishing with Jay, you know? I don't catch anything no matter what we do. But, like, if he's not catching fish over here, he goes over here. Can, can you imagine, like, having been... Hey, you catch anything? No, we've been fishing all night. Put your net on the other side of the boat. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And my point is, sometimes it doesn't take new actions. Sometimes it just takes renewed actions. Sometimes it's one more prayer. Sometimes it's one more one more trip back to the dock. Sometimes it's just that one last thing. And the Lord goes, hey, I want you to do that one more time. And you're like, I've done that. I mean, hello. I've been fishing all night. I have tried the front, the back, the sides. We drugged Peter. We even used him for bait. <laughs> but I love Peter's answer. But at your bidding, we'll do it again. And I want to say this to several of you. You just need to do it again. Maybe it's this morning. I've been prayed for so many times. I'm like the guy at the pool of Bethesda. I, have, I actually got a lifetime pass. It's like I, I'm up here just to watch others get healed. I just come up to make people know I'm trying. And the Lord says, why don't you do it again? I feel like this is a do it again day. Just try it again. Call that kid one more time. How's somebody call him? I text me, he never texts me back. How about try it again? How about one more time? I, I honestly feel like we're in this Kairos moment. I, I don't know if the window will open up for a day or a week or a month or maybe this will be the year. And I'm being very, very honest and vulnerable. I know we're in it. I don't know how long the window will be open. And probably because there's so many different people in here being affected by this word that for some of you it will open up for a year and for others, others, it'll open up for a few hours. You, you know, because we're just different people with different circumstances. But I really do feel like this is the day, this is the day that you're supposed to walk out of pain. Some of you don't have pain for the reasons we mentioned. And I'm like, you reduced your life to accommodate it. You're not living your dreams anymore. And the Lord is saying to you, take up the pallet of promise and move on. 
take up the pellet of promise. Listen, um, I was thinking about this. Some people are offended at this message right now. I, I'm sure when Jesus turns to the guy and goes, pick up your pellet and walk. I mean, he could have said, if I could have done that, I would have. <laughs> I mean, he could have been offended, right? He could have been like, hello, take up my pellet and walk. I can't even pick my butt up. How am I going to pick my pellet up? Right? I mean, he could have had five reasons why he couldn't do that. But he picks up his pellet and he walks. And what I'm getting at is sometimes the Lord tells us stuff and it's, it, it feels offensive. It's like, oh, it's so, he has no empathy for me. Just get over it. It feels like he told the guy, just get over it. 38 years, just get over it. But how many understand when the Lord says, get over it, suddenly there's grace released to get over it. And I want to say something. I, I hope you hear me. And I'm speaking to a few people in here and probably to several people watching. When God says, get over it, We have to purpose to not be offended. I was the get over it guy around the subject of depression. People would come all the time for prayer. You can imagine, because I, I was demonized for so long. I get people that do all kinds of stuff, and they come for prayer. And I had never felt depression before. Anxiety, many times. But I had never experienced a day of depression in my life. They come up and I'm like, get over, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't say get over it, but I'm sure they felt like get over it. Then I laid on the couch for six months, <laughs> depressed. I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like. And I realized, in fact, I did a lot of repenting when I came out of that. Lord, forgive me for having no empathy for people who couldn't just get over it. And yet this morning, I feel like the Lord is saying to several people, Get over it. But when the Lord says it, he's not saying it with no empathy. He's saying it with profound authority. I said, get over it. I like what he said to Joshua when Joshua is rightfully terrified. Joshua, don't be afraid. Oh, uh, okay. I'm good now. <laughs> How many of you have ever been, I'm not mean a little afraid. How many of you have been terrified? I have. Is, does it help us? Don't be afraid. Oh, thank you. <laughs> There's something about refusing. Listen to me. This is, this is, I didn't say this in any of the other two services. There's something profound in this moment about refusing to be offended when the Lord says, I said, I said, be strong and courageous. That you don't go in your spirit, okay. But you go, okay, I got it. I receive that grace. There's something about creating a culture where you refuse. The word feels harsh, like Jesus to the Pharisees. You whitewash tombs full of dead man's bones. How many know that was done in complete love? And some of the Pharisees walked away rightfully angry. But we know by the book of Acts that many of the Pharisees stepped over that whitewashed tomb and said, I don't care what he said. He gave me grace to leave that tomb. Because the Bible says in the book of Acts that many of the Pharisees believed God and came into the faith. 
They had to get past you whitewashed walls, you, you full of dead man's bones, you, you clean the outside of the cup, and they got past, they got past the offense, and they grabbed hold of the grace that was in the midst of that word and said, that's who we were, but it is not who we are anymore. And they determined to not be offended, to be, to be affected. We have to build cultures around us to get out of pain and then stay out of pain. Couple last weekend, last uh, not this weekend, but the weekend before, Bill and I were just talking. I said, "How was your weekend?" He says, "Oh, great." I said, "What'd you do on Saturday?" He said, "Oh, I had it off." And we, I said, "What'd you do?" And he said, "Oh, we we watched videos of uh, of all the prophecies that the Lord's been giving me." I said, "What'd you do?" He said, "Yeah, we spent the day, Benny and I, watching the prophecies that were being given to me, <laughs> to us." He spent the day listening and watching the prophecies that have been given to him on a Saturday. I dug a ditch. <laughs> I mean, who does that? Hey, would you like to watch prophecies that God's given us today? Oh, I think I'll do a TED Talk. I'm like, there's a reason why you come to this church. Because of the culture that was built by these guys. When Bill was going through hard times and depression, he's like, I'm not living here. And he developed a, a, a culture of testimony and prophecy, not so it can be fun, but so he doesn't live there anymore. He doesn't live, his weakness became his strength, and now we all feed off a man who says, I refuse to let depression beat me. I refuse to live in depression. I refuse to be a man who people described as depressed. And therefore, he learned how to create a culture around him that feeds his soul, and he's not offended or affected by the fact that somebody in a testimony has the breakthrough he needs. He's like, I'm gonna, if, he, if they did it for him, he'll do it for me. And what I'm getting at is you are feeding off a culture that somebody else created so that they wouldn't live in depression. They wouldn't live in negativity. Even though they were going through a tough time, they said, I think I'll create a culture, and everybody comes to feed off of it now. And I'm saying, you can do the same thing. You don't have to go home and feed on Netflix. I love Netflix, by the way. You don't have to go home and feed off that Old Testament movie. You could be listening to your prophecies. When we were young, and before there was iPhones and all this technology, and when we would travel places, and Bill would bring this big binder with him that had all his prophetic words, and he'd be on the plane. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm reading my prophetic words. He's reading his prophetic words. I have those somewhere. <laughs> I have them somewhere. They're somewhere. But how many know if I'm going to leave, if I'm going to leave pain, I actually have to, how many know when I'm leaving one thing, I'm going somewhere else. I have to create a landing place for wholeness. Are you with me? Would you stand, please? Say this. I am leaving my pain behind. This is the day of deliverance. This day, the Lord will deliver me from the things that have plagued me and my family, maybe for generations. This is the day that the Lord decreed that I would walk out of that place of misery in every place of my life. And it will affect and infect my children and my grandchildren 
and my great-grandchildren. We will create a legacy of breakthrough and hope and peace will be named among the attributes of my family lineage. We, our family, will create a culture where people actually get well in our culture and what feeds us today what walks us out of pain today will become our strength, our identity, and thousands of people will come to our house to get out of pain and to find promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on up, Jay. Before you leave, Jason's going to take a few minutes just to pray with you. Yes, God bless you. If I can have the ministry team come forward. Um, yeah, prayer servants come forward. We really want to uh, be able to, to minister to you today. Also, um, if you're struggling with um, anxiety or, or especially sleep, if you, if you don't sleep at night, tonight's your night. Uh, or today's your day. I'll just say that. Um, I just want to challenge you to, to, to go home. And get a good night's rest. Um, if you've, again, I just really feel like the Lord has, for some reason, given me this anointing to, to break that off people. So just place your hand on you. If, that, if that's yourself, really quick, we're just going to take one second. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we break the power of insomnia over people. In Jesus' name, Lord, we break bad dreams, uh, worry, God, uh, and anxiety, Father. In Jesus' name, Lord, would the Prince of Peace come? And speak to them tonight. Amen. Bless somebody on the way out. Um, feel free to come up. Be blessed. We'll see you next Sunday. If you want prayer, healing in your body, please come forward. Our first.